0: Cleotha Abston, name you've heard in the news probably recently, murdered last weekend beloved teacher, friend, and most importantly, Christian wife and mother, Eliza Fletcher. On Wednesday night this last week, Ezekiel Kelly went on a shooting rampage throughout Memphis, murdering four and injuring three. In our gospel reading for today, a man fell among the robbers and was left there lying half dead. No matter who you are, no matter what race, religion, age, sex, you have probably felt, and I hope you have felt, that this kind of wickedness, this kind of evil, intense wickedness, simply should not be. Past all the discussions of gun control, past all the political speeches, past all the news stories and propaganda, we can all agree on this. Some things just shouldn't be. They simply should not exist. That is what God says in the book of Joshua about Jericho. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going to a place that simply should not exist. Jericho was a place way back in the day, way back in the time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness. Jericho was a place that had crime rates probably akin to Memphis, if not worse. It was a place that was run by Canaanites, and they had Canaanite worship there, which meant they were sacrificing children at the temple, which meant that there was gross kinds of temple prostitution going on there. It was a place of rampant, intense, evil wickedness that simply should not be, and that is why, you probably know this story, whenever the Israelites entered the Promised Land, God told them to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and blow the trumpets and knock that place down. Blow it up. Get it out of here. Get it out of my sight. I don't want to see it anymore, God said. And so Joshua did so. And when Joshua did so, he said, you can read this in chapter 6 of that book, Cursed is the man who rebuilds this place. Cursed is the man who rebuilds the walls of Jericho. The Israelites did not learn their lesson, as is normal throughout the course of Israelite history. And under wicked king Ahab, married to Jezebel, you know the stories. A man named Heil of Bethel, a man to go down in history only for such a wicked act. Rebuilt those walls of Jericho. Reestablished the Canaanite worship and they existed in the day when the man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A place that shouldn't exist. Now Jerusalem, that was meant to exist. Jerusalem was the city of God. Jerusalem was the city that God said to David, go there, make it my Zion, make it your place of dwelling, make it the place where from there a king shall come who will reign forever and ever. And that was the place where Solomon built the temple. That was the place where the king would be crowned. That was the place where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. That was the place that was going to be the typological heavenly city for the ages to come. And so this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, when Jesus teaches the parable of the Good Samaritan, maybe not a parable, maybe a parable, whenever he teaches this teaching of the Good Samaritan, he does not teach arbitrarily, he does not just randomly pick these two cities and say these will do. He is talking about a man who went from a place where God dwelt to a place where man was wicked, who went from the heavenly city to the city of man that simply should not exist, from the place where the temple was built to preach God's word to the place where man engaged in intense, evil, rampant wickedness. And that journey that the man goes on from Jerusalem to Jericho, that journey is typological, metaphorical, allegorical for all of us. It is the journey we have all taken whenever we have fallen into sin. Notice the language that is used here in Luke whenever the man falls into the robbers. A man fell among the robbers. It is the exact same language that we still use today whenever we fall into sin. A man is going along through his schooling and he falls into bad company. And the bad company is bad news for him. A man is going along in life and falls into drug use. And that is bad news for him. We say falls into as a kind of euphemism because we know that no one really falls into anything just by accident. Things happen. Decisions are made that cause someone to fall into certain situations. The man knows he should not have been going to a place like Jericho, and yet he was going there anyway. And surprise, surprise, going to the place that is so wicked, wickedness happens to him On the way. A journey that shouldn't be taken. It's the same journey that Adam went on in the garden. He was journeying through the garden and he fell amongst the very first robber, the devil and his demons. And falling into such a place, he became half dead, goes out of the garden, goes from Eden, Jerusalem, to Jericho, the world. It's the story of journeying to sin, the journey we have all taken every time we have fallen into any sin that we have fallen into. And that sin, that sin of Adam passed down to us, that journey of Adam, the same journey we've all taken. It is a journey. It is a sin. It is the root of all of these kinds of problems that simply should not exist. How great would it have been if Adam would have simply stayed where he was and not gone on the journey. But it exists because the journey existed because he fell amongst the robber, the devil. And whenever this journey happens, whenever we look back at that journey of Adam and we look at all of the things in the world that shouldn't exist like Jericho, like the violence and murder in Memphis, like our own sin in our lives, even though we know better, whenever we look at those problems, we start to want to fix them. Remember the context where Jesus tells this story of the man who journeyed from Jerusalem to Jericho. The context is a lawyer asked him a question. Literally, the lawyer puts Jesus on trial. He puts him to the test. He says, what should I do to fix this problem? What should I do to inherit eternal life? I see all these things around me that should not exist. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he is wont to do, answers a question with a question. What is in the law? Probably referring there to the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. What's in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? And the man gives the correct summary of the law. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest two commandments. They summarize every law given in those first five books. They summarize the entire will of God from the very beginning of creation. This is a good law. And Jesus says he's right. Do this and you will live. You can get more on this idea in the Galatians reading, but the law could theoretically save in this way. If someone could perfectly love both God and their neighbor, all the way through, 100% through, in all the ways imaginable, love, 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 then God would have nothing to judge against them. On the final day, Jesus would say, you are righteous, you have done nothing wrong. That would be incredible. It would be incredible. And Galatians goes on to say there's only one offspring, God is one. Only one man has been able to do this because everything has been imprisoned under sin. That root problem of that journey that Adam took, well, it made the law no longer doable in that way. No one could fulfill it. The man, the lawyer who put Jesus to the test, obviously knew he had not could not, did not fulfill the law. That is why he said, desiring to make himself righteous, desiring to justify himself. Well, who's my neighbor? Looking for a loophole, looking for a way to find out if he has actually done this, even though he probably thought he hasn't. Maybe there's a way in which I can say I've done this, even though I have not It's like when the child is asked, did you clean your room? And he's like, yeah, I think so. And then you go in there and all the toys are just shoved under the bed. Found a loophole to say that he had done it when he really had it. Desiring to justify himself. And that is one of the main problems when we deal with things that shouldn't exist both in our society and in our life. What's the first thing that comes out whenever you hear about Cleotha Abston or Ezekiel Kelly? What's the first thing that gets talked about on the TV or when you look up Memphis News on the Internet? What's the first things that come out when this kind of evil, rampant wickedness is perpetrated? People start to look for loopholes. It's gun control. That's the problem. It's elect the right people. That's the problem. We need to start mental health problems. That's the solution. Health programs. Not problems. We have enough mental health problems already. We need to change the curriculum in the schools. We need to change the way kids play video games. We need to change the way that people look at their phones. We need to adjust everyone's pharmaceuticals so that they're just more calm and Not so crazy. You just need to post on your Facebook wall how much you care about this or that topic so that everyone will know and then we can all get along with one another. Looking for ways to solve the problem. Looking for ways in which you can find a way that you yourself can justify all of the issues. But it never really gets to the root of the problem, does it? The same is true with things that shouldn't exist, that is, sin, in your own life. Certainly, laziness and apathy of God's words and God's commands should not exist in our life. But we are no different than that man looking for that loophole, no different than the child shoving the toys under the bed. When we start to think to ourselves how we can deal with the sin in our lives when we start to find ways to think, well, maybe I really have done it. Surely God doesn't expect me to find time every day, let alone every week, to hear his word, to study his word, to receive his gifts of word and sacrament. Not when you have a schedule like mine. Don't you know how busy I am, God? I've done enough. Haven't I? Or you can start to make excuses and start to find loopholes for all sorts of things. I bet if we just had the right program at this church, then maybe we could fill up all the empty chairs. We have more of them to fill up now, which is wonderful. Maybe if we just had the right program, we could fill them all up. But surely it can't just be up to me to... Tell the guy I work with or the lady across the street about the empty chair in the church, which I love, which gives me so many good things next to me. Surely it can't be up to me to invite them to sit there. Someone else will do that. The program will do that. The pastor will do that. Someone else can take care of those things. And I'm sure all the stewardship stuff that pastor hasn't shut up about for the last Year, I'm sure someone better off than me will take care of my part for me. Surely I've done enough, haven't I? It is easy, it is so easy to try and find loopholes, to try and find ways to justify ourselves. But with all those loopholes there, when you say them out loud, you realize kind of how silly they are, the law can't be fulfilled. This is why in the story of the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus gives two examples of the law not being fulfilled. And who are the examples? The priest and the Levite. These are great examples because if anyone were able to actually fulfill the law in every aspect You would think it would be the guys whose job it is day in and day out to be about God's business. You would think the people who would know the law and do the law would be the ones who are required to read it every day by their job and who are required to do God's work, making the daily animal sacrifices in the temple. You would think the ones, the priests and the Levites, would be the ones who would actually know and be able to. To accomplish all these things, they would have the time, they would have the means, they would have the right ideas. And yet, even those priests and Levites, they couldn't do it. They passed by on the other side. They let the things which shouldn't exist just be there and exist and pay no attention to them. All the political solutions, all the proposed solutions, they never seem to get to the root of the problem. We talk around and around and around our sin instead of simply confessing. Instead of simply taking the advice of Psalm 32, which we read, I confess my transgressions before the Lord. He forgave the iniquity of my sin. If we are honest with ourselves and stop trying to talk around and around and around the issue. If we are honest with ourselves, we will see the law cannot be fulfilled by human means. The violence cannot be stopped by human means only. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. We need a Samaritan to come and to pick us up. And what I want you to go home with today, more than anything else I've said so far, is this Jesus is your heavenly Samaritan. Jesus did not just fall into place. Among the robbers. Notice when the Samaritan is traveling along that road, he has a mission that he is going on. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He wasn't just journeying there for no reason, he had a purpose, and he did not just fall into this situation as you have. Fallen into sin. But no. He came to save. He goes directly to the problem. He does not talk around the problem. He goes to the problem. And he heals. He takes his garments of righteousness. And he binds up the real wounds of your sin. He takes his garments of righteousness. And he binds up the wounds that are caused by the things which shouldn't exist. And he... Heals you. He pours on you his oil, his anointing oil which calls you his own, his anointing oil which comes to you in holy baptism, his anointing oil which heals you and marks you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And he pours on you the wine. He gives you his own blood from this altar this morning, pouring on you the wine to wash you of all your sins, to give for you the forgiveness of that which shouldn't exist. In your life. And he packs you up, he puts you on his back, on his animal, just like he put the cross on his back and journeyed to Golgotha. He puts you on his animal and he takes you to the place of shelter. He takes you to his inn, he gives you a place, a church to be in to receive the gifts, to be healed, to hear his word, to receive his mercy, to receive all that he would provide for you. He puts you under the care of an innkeeper, a pastor. He puts you under the care of the inn, and he pays for everything. He gives you his water. He gives you his word. He gives you his sacrament. He gives you everything over and over and over again that you need. He gives freely. Two denarii, take it. If you need more, take it. If you need anything, take it. I will give it to you. My grace is overflowing. My mercy is overflowing. It is yours. All the days that you need to be here to heal. He is all that you need. He is exactly what you need. He is exactly what Memphis needs. He is exactly what Olive Branch needs. He is exactly what everybody in DeSoto County and Shelby County and everywhere else, Marshall County, Tate County, the rest of them, he is what America, he is what the world needs. A good Samaritan. So that when you are journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho, he would save you and bring you back. Nothing else will save. Nothing else, no one else will heal. That is the solution to the problem that the lawyer asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Receive Jesus. Have your heavenly Samaritan help you and receive it with joy and thanksgiving. And then after all of that, then you go and do likewise. You go and be Jesus, show Jesus to those who need him. Tell others of his salvation. Tell others that if they have been lost on the road to Jericho, if they have seem like they're left for half dead. They're just going through life, kind of going through the motions. They don't know where they're going because they don't have Jesus. Tell them about the Jesus who can carry them to the place that can give them meaning and life. You go and do likewise and give freely to the church like Jesus did. When you think about your stewardship, don't think about all of the other solutions that we could have for stewardship. Think about what Jesus does. He just gives what is needed from his heart. It's not complicated. And do what Jesus does and come to this place and receive his mercy. Come and receive him. It is free. It is his for you. It is everything that you need week in and week out, so receive him with joy. He is your Samaritan. He has brought you here, and he wants to keep you here and love you and give you all that you need every day, every hour, every second. To him be all the honor and glory, now and forever. Amen.